0: Hello and welcome to This is Halloween, a nice mini series of podcasts where I meet up with friends to talk about Halloween themed movies. Although as we're going to get into it with my friend and great po- great cosplayer Joe. Hi Joe. Hey Jamie. So we're talking about a Halloween movie or is it a Christmas movie? But either way it's a movie. We're talking about Nightmare Before Christmas. So <laughs> Bearing the lead, but I'm going to be honest, I've always thought of this as a Christmas movie.
1: (laughs) I like to think of it as it's a movie for anywhere between Halloween all the way through Christmas. So it's an all-around good holiday movie.
0: All right, that's fair enough. From October 1st to January 6th, it's fair game. Fair
1: game, yes.
0: (laughs) So this this is a classic, and one thing, okay... Maybe to just start it off is why I liken it to a Christmas movie. Beyond like the Christmas being in the title, it's also got that little credit of of a lot of Christmas movies of of just finding its audience and becoming a classic after it's released. At the time, I think it it it, it wasn't like a financial flop or anything. Like it it made money and it made like and it got good reviews but just like it was just just released and forgotten at first and even at the time like the biggest telltale sign for for how it's grown in popularity the fun trivia fact is is it, it it went through there's some more behind the scenes but just this quick one to go off of is just for a long time it wasn't a disney movie it was a touchstone movie and just slowly but surely as it became more and more popular (laughs) and the re-releases suddenly it was like no 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 this is a disney movie walt disney's the night tim burton's the nightmare before christmas for a long time was like uh i don't know this seems a bit weird i don't know if we should call this a disney movie let's put it to touchstone it's a touchstone movie it's not a disney movie that was like oh no no this is a disney movie
1: And look at all the merchandising it has spawned since then. It used to be that you would find Nightmare Before Christmas merch like in the Halloween sections of the stores or like the specialized (laughs) section of Hot Topic back in the day. And now it's everywhere in drugstores, Disney official merchandising store. I mean, got to make that moolah now, now that it's a cult classic.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and and of course, it, it became truly mainstream when when every halloween to christmas they they redecorate the haunted mansion and make it into a nightmare before christmas right
1: mhm
0: which is so wonderful and always great
1: it's very cute like i like that they do that seasonal touch to the haunted mansion during the se- during the christmas season cuz and you still get to enjoy the haunted mansion year round
0: yeah absolutely so that's a great story like that there are a couple times where that's happened for disney where that where where it's become a cult hit. like you you've got um also uh big one is newsies like just this kind of forgotten movie that ended up becoming a broadway play so good for newsies uh hocus
1: pocus oh yeah the other halloween
0: yeah disney movies hocus pocus yeah
1: in Halloween Town, I mean, Halloween Town doesn't have as much merch as Hocus Pocus does, but Hocus Pocus is definitely a cult classic now.
0: Absolutely. It's so strange that movie is so obsessed with virginity.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what 18th century values being carried over into the 90s?
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I mean, they make a gag of it, so... But, yeah. yeah. So, uh, the... So, Nightmare Before Christmas. It all begins with Tim Burton, and... And we'll get into more what we, we, we talked before we started recording of how this <laughs> this is a bit unfairly thought of as a Tim Burton movie, when it's like, it is and it isn't a Tim Burton movie. Is so, it starts off a little bit already going into themes and ideas. I think a lot of Nightmare Before Christmas is in some ways Tim Burton's metaphor for his relationship with Disney at the time. Was that I people forget, and like Tim Burton really doesn't ever talk about it, really, but he once was an animator, like a straight up. Animator, a Disney animator, and he worked on Fox and the Hound, and he had such a horrendous experience. He hated it. He absolutely hated it. But at the same time, like there's something in him where he loves Disney, obviously, because he worked with them a bunch of times since. So I think that's a little bit Jack, where he's just like, I'm just this weirdo, and I just feel like, ooh, this Christmas world of like that's a Disney in some ways. I'm like, ooh, lovely but I can make it better. I can make it like me. And just like, uh, I don't think that works.
1: And then there was, and then he got fired from Disney when he created the live action shorter Frankenweenie and, and Disney yes. fired him because they thought he was wasting company resources. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then it's the eight. So as he's doing that, he writes this poem, The Nightmare Before Christmas. I haven't read, but a. I'm I'm curious. I'd love to read it someday.
1: It's a sweet poem, and it was also turned into a picture book that he illustrated. I think he illustrated it.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. And so he and so he leaves, and it's it's the strangest story in terms of careers. Although we're going to get into this is going to be a running theme for for this podcast of just strange stories. So Tim Burton, the animator, suddenly just is given like this. He's given a lucky break. 'Cause uh the Frankenweenie short or not yeah, the Frankenweenie short is seen by Pee Wee Herman and he likes it and says, like, Would you like to direct my my feature length movie? And Tim Burton says yes. And that gets him suddenly he, he he becomes a good enough credible director to where he's then able to make Batman and suddenly he is he's made a half a billion dollar movie and like his weird gothic style is actually embraced by people where it's just like he is one of the he is a very interesting filmmaker and in that like he's one of the most eccentric and very identifiable styles and yet everyone just like it became mainstream it's like he's he's that it's like Hollywood's one weirdo goth that actually got accepted and Became super popular.
1: When Goth goes mainstream.
0: Yeah. We might have to talk about that also too. But like, it's the weirdest. You you mentioned hot topic, but yeah, like the goths they they adore this movie so much. But I do wonder at the same time, are they disappointed that it became popular? It was like, Or was like it, it's you know that age old fan thing. Was like, oh. I liked it before you liked it.
1: Yeah, I'd say, I mean, as a goth, I would say I do like Tim Burton's older works more than mm. his newer works.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I recommend the Blank Check with Griffin and David podcast where they go through his filmography and what, as part of their series. And they, the main conclusion they drew at some points is, like, he got happy. Is He got happy, so just, like, afterwards it's like eh and then he just became more and more just like a director for hire.
1: I mean nothing wrong with happy goths. He just got <laughs> accepted by the mainstream and just got all this money coming in.
0: Yeah. At which point it's like what do I do? Yeah. But yeah, oh I just saw Mars Attacks. Just a fun, weird movie by him. That's not goth at all, but just like it just it's it's his most like middle fingered to the society, it's like and just like how we're all doomed, everyone's like kind of a jerk and kind of an idiot, and the Martians are just total jerks, and just want to destroy the world, and just humanity doesn't get it until it's too late. It's like maybe they were misunderstood the pigeon maybe they thought the dove was a was an attack, and we just have to be nice to them. I was <laughs> like, no, no. They're just mean. (laughs) So suddenly Tim Burton is really, really popular. He's suddenly the cool kid in town, and Disney kind of comes back knocking, saying, "Hey, please come back, come back. We love you." And he he's open to it, and he's and he finds out that his the poem he did they they somehow own the rights to making a movie for that. So then he says like, "Okay." Would you like to, can I make a stop-motion movie of of Nightmare Before Christmas? They're like, sure. But he doesn't agree to direct it. One, he can't, because he's contracted to work on Batman Returns. That very funny and strange and magnificent movie.
1: Secondly, he also did state that he didn't feel experienced enough to do uh, the directing job. Um, justice the way he envisioned it to be
0: yeah so it's a stop mo he, he would direct to stop motion movies though so
1: eventually corpse bride and Frankenweenie.
0: so yeah i've yet to see Frankenweenie. Uh, i need to
1: it's very cute
0: <laughs> sounds cute yeah and... i had the
1: fortune of seeing it in theaters way back when it came out nice nice it- I mean, it's no Nightmare Before Christmas, but it's <laughs> definitely a Tim Burton film, and it was very fun to compare it to the live-action short.
0: Mhm, absolutely. I'm sure. So, um, he he brings on the the person, the poor person that's always forgotten in this story, the actual director of the movie, Henry Selick. Henry Selick, who. Is a stop-motion director, he's fantastic. He's brilliant. Would later go on to direct my favorite of his. Although I know there's no disputing from me or you, obviously, that Nightmare Before Christmas is a is a classic. But my favorite of his is Coraline. Just a really fun, creepy, great movie. That's a perfect adaptation of the book.
1: Yes. In some ways, um, I would say it's even better than the book. Just because... I mean, Neil Gaiman is a fantastic writer and everybody loves him, but I just felt that the movie with all the visuals just brought it to a whole new colorful level that um that you, that wasn't in the book.
0: Yeah, oh, I know exactly what you mean. Well, the other thing for me is but uh, at the same time, just sidebar, there's always tangents in the and when I do podcasts. And so you sorry joe not... <laughs> is uh for me at least like the thing neil Gaiman once said is like and i did have this experience of watching the movie Is like i remember reading the book but i read it as i uh, when i was in sixth grade so it was just like it was like yeah cool fantasy story fun great just close the book yeah and then when i watched the movie for the first time it was like oh yeah this is scary like, I didn't think of it as scary, and, like, that's what, it's like, Neogam's like, yeah, yeah, that like, that's what editor and everyone says, is just, like, kids is just like, yeah, it's a fantasy story, whatever. Like, adults, the older you get, it's more terrifying, because <laughs> it's just, like, it's just strange. You'd expect it to be the other way around. I mean,
1: it's always, like, about seeing things through. An adult eyes versus a kid's eyes. Because sometimes when you see things as an adult, it's just like, whoa, um, that flew over my head as a kid.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so then, like, Henry Selick goes through the long process of directing stop motion. There's something about stop motion, even more than hand-drawn animation, where just, like, you can just see and feel the time it takes to do it like every single frame is excruciating
1: yeah i have a copy of the art of nine before christmas and um, i remember seeing these these uh, sketched storyboard panels of how during the oogie boogie song they wanted a sequence where they had bugs like come dancing out of oogie's eyes and mm-hmm. onto his arm, yeah. and then he like sucks them all back in his into his mouth. But they cut at that out um, of the final animation because that would have taken way too long. And oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have loved to see that animated, but I understand why it got cut.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, it, it's excruciating. I mean, it is astonishing. There are deleted scenes. There are deleted scenes in this movie, but not a lot because it's just like. Even more than animation, you just gotta make those those decisions from the get-go of like, okay, this is the story we are telling, we are going. Because every frame is so precious and so difficult to do.
1: Very okay. time consuming.
0: Yeah. You can't edit an animated movie. All right, I'll 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 say the reference, Jeffrey Katzenberg, you cannot edit an animated movie. You pre planned this you can't remove any part of the story Uh, just jeffrey katzenberg and michael eisner disney war have just when they got in they hated the black cauldron understandably and they were like you need to edit this movie and this like the people were just like you can't edit an animated movie like this is all intricately planned if you remove parts of the movie it won't make any sense so it was kind of butting heads because Jeffrey Katzenberg come coming from live action was like, Of course you can edit. I can edit it. Give me the film, I will edit it. It's like, well, no, you I mean, yes, you can literally edit, but please don't. Like you're asking us to change the story, and we can't change the story at this point. So and the big thing also. And so they get a bunch of, um, so it's like, like Henry Selick, he's the director, he's the one hands-on. Like, it's only a story by Tim Burton. Obviously, like, all the character designs and, like, the art aesthetic, it's also very much Tim Burton. But how does it become Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas? That was actually, like, a late in the project, like, marketing decision that they pulled, which Henry Selick was not, At all pleased by. Mm -hmm. And Tim Burton himself was kind of like. Weirded out by like what. What. It's like I'm I'm just producing the movie. It wasn't like. It it kind of like. By calling it Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. It does make you think like. That he's the director of the movie. So. Just like when Coraline advertisements. Were coming out like from the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Like ooh Tim Burton like no. Nope. This is not a Tim Burton movie.
1: Yeah, it's like, don't do Henry Selleck dirty.
0: Poor Henry Selleck. I mean he's he's got his own career and he's doing fine. So uh, so the kind of like the big part that also comes on onto the the scene that's also kind of a bit not as talked about is and the Great documentary they have on netflix movies that made us they they did a great episode on Bear for christmas is um okay now i'm let me remember his name in just a second um i remember before christmas uh okay, danny elfman danny elfman
1: yes the composer he is amazing
0: so part of the the story that he says is like he he very much related to Jack Skellington and was like I want to sing Jack Skellington I want to play Jack Skellington because I am Jack Skellington of just that the weirdest career in terms of shifts of Tim Burton going from an animator to a live action big studio director of of Danny Elfman was the the lead singer of oingo boingo he was a rock star and now he's more known i think as as a movie film composer yes which is just like such a it's such a strange thing when you when you think about it it's just like you were a rock star and you became a movie composer i
1: mean if he's got the chops for composing i mean why not (laughs)
0: Absolutely. And he's done great work before and since. I mean I mean at the time, like he and so he's like he said like this was like Nightmare Before Christmas was part of him like really making that full commitment of like saying like I am done with Oingo Boingo. I am done being a rock star. I hate being a rock star. And like that's Jack Skellington to him was like that's how he related was like like I am bored with this. I don't like doing this same shtick anymore. Like I want to move on. Like I really love composing for film scores. I want to do that. That that was him was Christmas. Like that's like that's exciting to me. I want to do that. And I mean luckily for him it it worked out better than it worked out for Jack Skellington.
1: Yes, it sure did. I mean you, I mean you could say like for Jack Skellington his um I mean things worked out for him as well. Yeah. He may not have become Sandy Claus, but <laughs> he falls back in love with his own Halloween culture again.
0: So, kind of, what, what, do we want to talk about that, the, and the themes, or do we want to go beep by beep? How do you want to talk about the movie? Just...
1: I mean, did you have, like, something planned out, or... Just...
0: <laughs> no, I mean, we, we we just kind of, like, go with the flow. Yeah, uh,
1: I mean, I'm sure, yeah, we could talk about the themes,
0: Um <laughs>
1: Is this a good time for me to interject with my thoughts on cultural appropriation?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. we've talked yeah, about this, so,
1: yeah. I love nine before Christmas and it's cause a few, I think like some years ago, I like as I got older and was critically thinking about the movie, I just thought, you know, when you think about it, nine before Christmas is a movie about cultural appropriation where Jack Skellington, he's fascinated by the culture and the, rituals of Christmas, but he doesn't understand Christmas and he really um, sees it through a Halloween lens. And um, as much as like, he tries to mastermind um, Christmas and even kidnap Santa Claus and tries to step in the role of Santa Claus. Like he even butchers Santa, Santa's name. Um, he doesn't understand. He think when, people out in the normal world are screaming. Um, he thinks it's out of fun because that's what you do on Halloween, but not Oops. on Christmas. And when um, the military is even like sh- trying to shoot him out of the sky, he's like, oh, it's fireworks. And it's like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> and, um, and I think like i watching it. Like, I mean, in the real world, the words p- cultural appropriation generally has a lot more malice attached to it, but within the context of the Night Before Christmas movie, I think it was definitely more of, like, well-intentioned but misguided actions.
0: Well, I mean, you can which make a case that, that, which, that, that a lot of cultural appropriation is often that. of just, yeah. And Disney, oh boy, oh boy, are kind of the some of the kings of that, of just well-meaning, misguided attempts at, at at diversity and, like, and looking at other cultures and saying, ooh, that's cool. Let's try to present it.
1: I will say they did um, definitely learn their lessons throughout the 90s. And as um, time went on and they got more criticism and more opportunities opened up for um, – cr- Um, creatives from those Mm -hmm. different racial and ethnic groups who can better represent um, the different cultures that um, Disney tries to create movies around. Like I know for Aladdin, Pocahontas, like so much criticism towards those movies. I mean, even though they were good movies, there was just so much, they were just not politically correct. And um, but by the time they got to Mulan, like Mulan, I think that one is very embraced by Asians in general.
0: Well, I mean, I, I love Aladdin. I can never betray Aladdin. Aladdin is my favorite.
1: Yeah, it's a great this movie. My favorite
0: Disney movie. I, I do understand the criticisms, and like yeah. they're all like, they're all fairly justified. In its defense, I think it's like it's like, well, it's like it's turning like our culture into Las Vegas. It's it's like. Well, yeah, and I, you're right. I do agree, but like, it's also a fairy tale. It's got a genie in it. It's obviously mm-hmm. not supposed to be real. But yeah. I mean, but I mean, at the same time, that's also, you know, ignorance of cultures to to then say like, no, this is this is a movie. This isn't real culture.
1: Well, that's but, another rabbit hole we could go down.
0: <laughs> and so, but no, I mean. I I can absolutely see, like, yeah, no, Jack Skellington, in a lot of ways, is like that is that guy who finds Japanese culture is like, ooh, <laughs> oh, I love anime, I love ramen, I love all this stuff. Oh, the weebs, oh. and just starts dressing around and, I don't know, the, you can kind of tell sometimes the difference between weebs and, and people that actually are, like, they just, no, they... It's it's respectful and loving and not insulting, but you know, it's kind of a toss up sometimes, or not a toss up, but it's it's a fine line. That's a better way of saying it. It's a fine line. Yeah. I I, I mean, rewatching the movie, Joe, you you you're touching on, like he he loves Christmas when he sees it. Like this is awesome. This is different, and like I think that's what he's really responding to is like he's just. Is he's just bored with the same routine mm-hmm. of like it's like I've just been been scaring people. I've I've like and like I'm just I'm too good at it. Like, yeah. It's like I can easily scare you. I can easily be ghoulish.
1: It's like what next? What else to strive for in life?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the the great term in in um script writing and all the time is want versus need. And I'll give this movie real credit. It's it's one of the best versions of want versus need of just that you want something new in your life that or you need a girl, a romance, a partner in life. Uh, Aladdin's kind of that, but it's not also no, like the, the, the real thing is like you want you want to be respected. Well, no, you need to be respect yourself and then you'll get what you want so so jack it's like he just he's looking for the answer in all the wrong places but at the same time like at the end even the halloween people finally do get christmas in in the same way that jack did when when they see the snow it's like oh oh this is cool this is new and different and this is fun like they're what's this what's this and, like, the mayor, he at first has a sad face, but when he actually eats the snow, he's like, oh! And then he gets on the happy face. So sweet. It is. And, yeah, I, I do see the cultural appropriation. It's it's kind of strange to look at it, but it's, yeah, it is honestly, yeah, you can easily interpret it that way. And, you know, death of the author, the minute the text is out there, it's up, it's free for interpretation. Mhm. I mean, personally, I've always made, I always think that, personally, that uh, J.M. Barry, the creator of Peter Pan, was just like, oh, no, this is just fun fantasy, fun fantasy about growing up. And, you know, that's all I was trying to do. But everyone else is kind of like Freudian interpreted to death. I was like, oh, no, no, no. This is more than just like a metaphor for 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 growing up. This is about like youth. And this is all about like this has got some really creepy. Elements to it. This is really actually Peter Pan's really creepy when you actually think about it. And it's just like he sounds kind of like a kidnapper. It's like, well, well I didn't mean it that way. I just, you know, fun, innocent fantasy it was like, sorry, just we're reading into it. Maybe you didn't intend it that way, but that's kind of what's there.
1: Yeah, I mean, once it's out for the public, the public gets to, get to read into it however they want to
0: for good or bad <laughs> um yeah the so but what you were touching touching on earlier there before i got sidetracked of just of him not understanding christmas and not understanding the culture arguably just not understanding the holloway is like he, he even <laughs> brings out the scientific method of like well i've read the books but, like, I don't get it. And, like, he tends to the, the, the which I forgot, but it's so funny. It's like, he tries to, like, actually break it down, like, from a scientific perspective. Christmas. Okay. All right. Let me break it down.
1: He's got, like, his whole chalkboard of all these complicated equations. And I'm just like, this is hilarious. <laughs>
0: it's so fun. And so innocent. That was
1: a really fun setup Um, in his... In his lair, he's just got his whole lab just dedicated to Christmas. And I just think it's so cute and funny.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. It's adorable. And I think yeah, the other thing is just that he... So getting into it, okay, this is actually something that I wanted to talk about and uh, your thoughts as well. Mm-hmm. This is one of, like, the thing that from the 90s onwards, I think, although you can make a case or earlier is um actually okay it, it tied back to tim burton it starts i think with the fox and the hound disney from the fox and the hound onwards has been willing to be a bit more risque with some of the messages it tells in in some of its movies and well when you think of disney you think of you know the two I always go for is that are kind of infamous is you, you think of Cinderella and you think of when you wish upon a star from Pinocchio, just like, when you wish upon a star, uh, when you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. Bad singing by Jamie (laughs) that, that, and just like everyone that like from, from the deeply, nihilists to just like mildly cynical like that's not true that's not true you can't just wish and like your dreams come true no matter what it's like it's hard work and luck and lots of things like that but you know it's a movie have fun we need to also have some good cheering up but i love that that disney will occasionally be bold enough to say like uh maybe that's not completely true fox and the hound is like Was like their first one, I'll credit it, of just like being, of saying, like, no, sometimes friendship cannot overcome racism. Sorry. It's like, it's like Fox and the Hound's like, yeah, we're friends, but like, sorry, we're age old enemies. It's not going to change.
1: It's really funny because Fox and the Hound was based on a book that was very messed up to begin with. And (laughs) you think about, if you like read this, just even read the summary of the (laughs) original Fox and the Hound, You just think, how in the world did Disney think this was going to make a cute kids movie?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's also a little bit of the, from what I know of the internal things, like that's also part of like the Disney's like inner war that they were going with. I'm just like the the nine old men, the old generation, like had only like this certain point of view for what they can do and what, what, what they can't do. And the younger people want to be a bit more experimental and go in darker places and fox and the hound was the breaking point where just like don bluth was like all right this is not walt disney's company anymore they're not willing to take any risk so i'm going to create my own company my own animation studios and i'm going to release the secret of nim so he goes off to do that and then, and for a while is the rival to disney but then he sadly makes some misses and then it just all goes down to hell for him yeah. Plus plus also Disney gets their act together. But I mean, yeah, just Fox and the Hound. Well, I mean, Joe, to be fair, that this this movie gets all the, the crap it deserves of just at one point and Walt was has got his fingerprints all over it, so he's gotta bear this cross, is he thought, I really love I really, really, really love these Song of the South stories. I wanna make a movie on them. Like, even at the time, that's the thing that, like, people miss, like, kind of, like, lose in the narrative. Like, oh, at the time it seemed okay. It was like, no, no. Even at the time, people were like, uh, I don't know if you should do this.
1: I mean, do you remember the controversy for Miss um, Care- Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children and the controversy that went online with Tim Burton with his racist remarks?
0: Oh, I don't know about that. That's oh, that's great.
1: Well, to make a long story short, um, let's just say Tim Burton doesn't care about racial diversity.
0: Oh, oh, because he, I'm, he got asked, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, and he was like blasé about it. Why do you only cast white people? Yeah.
1: I'm or sure. like, I mean, I, this is a whole other conversation, but, um, yeah, I mean he the way he phrased it was just not very not let's just say not classy
0: yeah i'm sure
1: but anyway back to nine for christmas um
0: so 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 getting back to strange and interesting and challenging messages from disney i credit it because like just when you think of disney you think of what i what i said earlier of just you know like sleeping beauty snow white like the nice easy go to messages of uh, that then comes around nightmare before christmas which says uh sometimes you you just you may have these dreams but you know you you can't without your dreams you should just be happy with what you are and and you can find other ways to be to fill that void of dissatisfaction instead of like trying to take over someone else's job i've just i love that and later on, the other one I I'll give to I'll give massive credit for is for giving the same message, so in other ways, is um, Monsters University. It's just really surprising. It's like it's like, no, I'm sorry, Mike, no matter how hard you work at it, it's just you're not scary. You'll never be scary. So but you can find other ways to live out your passion. But and you can be happy and enjoy your life, but just you're not going to be the top scarer. Sorry. <laughs> so that's, and then Richard Ralph of just, it's like, I want to be the good guy. It's like, eh, maybe you're not, but you know, that's okay. Just embrace and be happy with what you are. And so just what I think of instantly, although there's all the montages of him, but like when he is like saying like I'm gonna take over Christmas, he wraps the Christmas tree lights around an electric chair <laughs> and just sets it off. That kind of like sets is the clue like uh I don't know if you're you are cut out for Christmas. <laughs> I know you like it, but
1: uh... yeah, it's like um I know it's like not quite toned for Christmas. <laughs>
0: And so pretty edgy jokes for Disney of just like that Emperor PG movie of just like, ooh, this roadkill. Oh, it's too old. Get something fresher. That's a better present. And like they get the jack in the box, but they think like, you should make it scarier.
1: And, and like, then the ooh. whole um, like the... Kidnap the Sandy Claws song where it was just a completely serial killer song. And then would. <laughs> And then when you finally do make it down to Oogie Boogie's lair, it's this one giant gambling lair.
0: Yeah. Well, and I do like at the beginning of the, that's also setting the good gray areas, but for Halloween Town, they, they say the my favorite song, the opening song. Although I also love the vil, Oogie Boogie song as well. Those are my two favorites. I've just that. Of the, they, they 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 preface at one point of saying like life's no fun without a good scare, but they also give the caveat we're not mean like we're, we just like a good scare. And like the thing is like they're it's something that's very quintessential Tim Burton. Sorry Henry Silk, I'm gonna talk about Tim Burton. Sorry, <laughs> it's your movie, but just saying I'm just like he loves like the he loves the ghouls and just kind of like but saying like yeah they're they're weird and ghoulish, but they're nice. They're yeah, nice like, them.
1: like spooky, good fun, but nothing that qualifies into horror realm.
0: Nothing. Like the vampires. One I noticed like the vampires are in the day. Like sunlight <laughs> does not do anything for these vampires.
1: I mean they are crouching under parasols.
0: <laughs> I guess. Alright. Fair enough. But yeah, they're they're just like they're all just having a good time. Like no no talk of like I must suck your blood. Like, no, nah, we're we're just monsters. And they're just monsters having a good time. But like Oogie Boogie is like, like Lock, Shock, and Barrel are, are like on the cusp where like they're actually kind of like naughty in a in a mean way, but they're still like better than Oogie Boogie. Oogie Boogie is like straight up evil. Or like, yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: he even says that he sings the line where he says, um, he gets a lot of fun when he sees lives on the line, not his <laughs> own, but others.
0: Not mine, of course, but yours. Yes. And I mean. To be mean to him because he's the villain, but just like one like the great joke is he's not even a good gambler. <laughs> <laughs> like he keeps on getting snake eyes. So I was like, no, you're not good at this. Yeah. But but the other one is just that he, it's, I mean, just even from a, from a practical standpoint, it's like where's the game? It's just you're just rolling dice for their life. It's like can't they play at all? <laughs> where's the chance? It's just the game seems I mean... weird. <laughs>
1: he even sings that he doesn't play fair
0: (laughs) fair enough (laughs) oh gosh okay so i want to praise the visuals so all the visuals just the designs the aesthetic and the animation are all fantastic i know objectively that like all the stop-motion movies they make after this i mean props to disney like one of the things that of why they hadn't i think I don't know if this is the first stop-motion movie but it's definitely one of the one of the first and like one of the reasons why they don't do it is like it costs a lot a lot it takes a long time and so because it's so so hard to do like to sustain that for a full feature length movie is so damn hard and this is a short movie it's only 70 plus minutes
1: a good length for a movie. Like my gripe with movies these days is that they feel like it has to be long to be good, which I highly disagree with.
0: <laughs> I'm guessing you might not be a fan of 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 No Time to Die with its 3-hour runtime.
1: I have not seen that.
0: <laughs> I just saw it, but we're not here to review that movie. So so just Jack of just like, his ideas, though, it's, like, quintessentially what I was talking about earlier, of just, like, the message of, of that, no, you're not right for Halloween, you can't fix this. Like, one, you can't, like, you're not right for Christmas, you don't get Christmas on this fundamental level. I'm just Like, he just approaches it at the spooky way, and the thing, the little gag I, I didn't appreciate until now, is even the way he does, like, the ho-ho-ho laugh is just like, no, he's doing it like a Halloween laugh. I'm just, ha 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 I was like, uh, that's not...
1: Even Sally's like, "Oh man, this is all wrong. Like this is so messed up. Why are we doing this?"
0: <laughs> well, yeah, from the get-go. I mean, she even though like Oogie Boogie is the real antagonist, she's technically the antagonist for a lot of the story for so she's the only sane person trying to stop him <laughs> and trying to talk sense into him. Apparently the writer of the movie, she she felt she she wrote a lot of of herself into Sally.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think antagonist is a bit of a strong word for Sally, but I think she. Yeah, more like, no, no,
0: no, like not, not. It's just like, in yeah. terms of like the the story progress, you know, bringing in conflict.
1: Yeah, like I remember reading about how um, even though Jack carries a story, Sally's the heart of it, which I think she's like the moral compass of the movie.
0: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent, moral compass and the heart. Well, yeah, she's this adorable woman that that, that girl that that's she's. Kind of a trapped princess because she's trapped in a tower with her mean dad who won't let her. And I can understand what the goths can really relate to this part. It's just, just, this mean dad won't let me go out and it's fun. Just wants me to be up there with him all the time. Won't let really me do anything. <laughs> How on earth can these teens relate to that? She's got the
1: badass advantage of being able to throw herself out a window and then stitch herself back up.
0: Boy, like, they they don't do a lot of, like, exploring the whole monster thing in the movie. I mean, there's a couple of jokes about how he can take off his head. But, that, and, like, you know, the mayor who can twist his head around. And he's got two heads. Mm-hmm. But, boy, they really do. They One, set that up. Like, that's so shocking the first time you see it. It's like, whoa. I was like, whoa
1: Lillard, a two faced politician.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but but Sally Sally. What to say about her? Just great visual design, fantastic performance by Katherine O'Hara. I'm not sure, I think that might be the last time she did a movie with with Tim Burton. Or a Tim Burton produced movie at least. I'm like, yeah, she did that, and Beetlejuice. I think she did something else.
1: I'm but... just going to quickly Google Catherine O'Hara. Yeah.
0: Because soon he...
1: I'm here for Christmas.
0: Oh, she came back in Frankenween. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah, Good. she's there.
0: Well, yeah, she was in, um, she was in Beetlejuice, and so, yeah, she was part of his ensemble for a little bit,
1: yeah,
0: yeah and I, I think she's, other than Boingo Bongo star, you know, that's something that would so try to, if it was just a couple years later, uh, Something I I I've I've gone on my pedestal before for other movies is one of the I'll I'll throw his name under the bus, because his legacy is very mixed. Of just one of the worst things that came from Jeffrey Katzenberg and DreamWorks was really like putting more and more emphasis on like the voice talent in an mm. animation. Mm. Whereas just like, no, animation is the is the selling point and like the story, not the people who voice the characters and you know maybe the voice actors should you know act instead of just playing like variations on their perception
1: yeah like the, i was watching a video recently about the celebrification of voice acting and it's just definitely very unfair that um for big feature movies you get all these you have all these voice actors who like they don't carry as big of a name but they are trained mm-hmm. and they yep. have way better acting chops than a lot of these celebrities but these celebrities just get casted because um i mean studios think oh people will pay money to watch this celebrity voices character and it's like no we want to watch the character we're not we're not going to see the actor anyway because um i mean i know recently for mario and peach like that was kind of a slap in the face for <laughs> charles martinet and then um re- most recently with um i think the um space jam remake or something um <laughs> the original cast members weren't recasted and zendaya got casted as lola and there was just outrage on twitter <laughs>
0: I like, know disrespect respect is and Daya, but I know exactly what you mean. And for me, uh, the go-to one, my, one of my favorite voice actors, Sean Chamel, just really, like, called it out of, like, Megamind. Like, you know, Will Ferrell, like, no, he he's really good as Megamind. But, like, and I like this act, both of these people, but, like, Tina Fey and Brad Pitt, like, oof. Especially Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is just, like, It is a dud of oh. performance. And it's just like no, no disrespect to him. I love I love me some some Brad Pitt and tons of other things, but just like it's like you're not a voice actor. And I'm not saying that they have to be cartoony either. It's just like there's just something it's a je ne sais quoi quality that that voice actors have that a lot of like celebrity big time live action actors they don't Know how to bring that talent to just their when they're only use it relying on their voice,
1: it's a very different skill set from being on camera. Absolutely, there are plenty of voice actors who don't really have the desire to have a career being on screen,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so, um, and so, like, the cast, um. Like the person who plays Jack, it's just Chris Sarandon, great character actor. And then all the singing is done by Danny Elfman as we've spoken, but but like they don't telegraph. We got the actor from we in this movie is Catherine O'Hara from Beetlejuice and the star and not the star, but but an actor who was in the uh the Princess Bride. Like No.
1: I mean, the stars of the animated movies really are the animated characters and the story. I think they really should shine on their own.
0: Yeah. That's just me. I mean, and boy, oh boy, like, just some of the performances that you can get. The performance of Oogie Boogie is just so, so wonderful. Just creepy, funny, and just great design. Oh, and I wanted a compliment earlier for the aesthetics. So just the set number for Oogie Boogie, of that they go for this neon lighting, which is just fantastic. And just the song is great and everything about it.
1: Just that evil <laughs> casino look.
0: <laughs> it's a really, really fun musical number. It's a great villain song.
1: So jazzy.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, villains have also. I mean, Lindsay Ellis has done. I'm a big fan, so I'm name dropping her a couple times. She's done a great video on Disney villains and why they've somewhat gone the wayside. But like Oogie Boogie, he's right there on the on that pedigree of ones that's really popular, or that that's one of the last great ones. Actually something I, I just want to mention and shout out just because it's my favorite video game series. Um, I, part of that cult thing that we talked about earlier for Nightmare Before Christmas, like it's super gigantic in Japan. Nightmare Before Christmas is super big in Japan and it's one of the reasons why Nightmare Before Christmas is in Kingdom Hearts. Mm. Is they were just like, we love Nightmare Before Christmas so you we're definitely putting in a nightmare before Christmas land.
1: I was guessing you were going to start talking about Kingdom Hearts,
0: <laughs> so just a fun reference what what more can I say? It's and so, after having played the game, it was like it was weird when watching the movie again. It's like, oh wow the the boss level is just the final action scene with between Oogie and Jack. It's just like the boss fight is literally this. they just copied it pretty much verbatim. That really hard boss It's like that's great.
1: I'm still waiting for the day Kingdom Hearts ever makes it to p c
0: No, oh, I'm afraid <laughs> you might have to wait a while
1: <laughs> I mean, the final fantasies did come to p c yeah,
0: well, maybe um they they are they are talking about making it into a Disney plus show.
1: that would actually be pretty cool, yeah. I mean, I was reading an article earlier about how Disney is, like, starting to make anime, which to me is like, well, I guess Disney's really po- monopolizing the popularity of anime now. <laughs> now that Netflix adults had jumped on it and started making original animes.
0: hmm Absolutely. Well, gotta follow the trends. So yeah.
1: Goodbye are the days when being an anime fan meant you were one of those geeks.
0: Uh. I'm fine with it. Yeah. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I mean, hey, th- there's always degrees though. This is a fun just this is why we do podcasts, just for fun tangents like this. I don't know, for me, th- there's always a difference between like otaku's and like people that like certain anime things of like you weren't a nerd if or a weirdo if you liked Dragon Ball Z, Pokémon or uh what was it? What would be the other one i would say yugioh okay y- Yu-Gi-Oh. yeah Yu-Gi-Oh. like those three just became like so ubiquitous and so just like mainstream immediately that was just like no those are just like that's
1: like, deeper than that
0: it's like no 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 it's deeper into like toonami's lineup and deeper into like the really esoteric stuff so so it's just it's it's when you get into that full metal alchemist kind of stuff that's just like that's where it's like oh that is the true nerdy stuff like now you're talking like more like that's that's otaku and so but that's always the case isn't it mm-hmm. there's, there's always some stuff that's like really really big and then there's more deep cut stuff i mean I, and Nightmare before christmas it it, it started that way and I liken it to Christmas stories just because like it's a Christmas story. That that like forgotten like it was a movie that just came out and no one remembered, but then slowly over time over home video it became a Christmas classic. Along with um people don't believe this, but it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life was not a big success at all. And just on home just on TV, there was no home video even then. Just on TV it became a Christmas classic. Somehow. Just Who knows? Popularity. It doesn't something that may be popular now isn't doesn't mean it has lasting impact.
1: That's true. Yeah, because popularity is very fickle. And whether I think whether something can stand the test of time, that's the true testament.
0: (laughs) Okay, all right. To be mean to to this movie, even though it's we're supposedly going to get five sequels of it avatar is the best example of that to me of just like a with movie the blue was, people <laughs> yeah yeah just that that no not the one with the airbenders no just just that that blue people avatar movie that just it came out it made a over a billion dollars and no one talks about it it's like the the most successful movie that it did not penetrate our consciousness at all
1: I mean, even, like, when I see people on social media, like, bring up Avatar, and they'll be like, are you talking about the blue people or the the last airbender? And if it's something about the blue people, they're like, oh, never mind. Like, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. I don't think uh, the Avatar with blue people really, um, I don't think that movie aged well.
0: Eh. I don't think it's anything bad with the movie itself. It just, it just... Honestly, okay, to be a bit mean, also like I think it was just the novelty.
1: I mean, take the whole summary of Pocahontas, cross out everything that with, and replace it with characters and stuff from Avatar, and there you go.
0: Well, I think the novelty, the novelty of a of a three D movie and like a real good three D movie just excited everyone at the time, and just when that way waned away and like what, what you were left with it was just like oh but what about the actual movie itself well it's good it's good it's good and then like over time it's like eh and more and more like that it's I don't think anyone hates the movie well maybe some people but but just like it's just yeah. now compare that to Nightmare Before Christmas where it's a seasonal ride on Disneyland and it became an icon for goth culture and is a, a classic just like this small little little movie huge impact tying it back to nightmare before christmas i got it i don't know i mean i think we're we might be closing to the end
1: yeah i mean the legacy of Nightmare before christmas i think it really um stems from the fact that i think um because i'll admit i'm not a big horror movie person myself so when halloween season comes and people are just like horror movies i'm like i like spooky fun but not necessarily to get myself scared and stay up in the (laughs) middle of the night with all my lights on like i definitely want to enjoy halloween but not be scared and i think nightmare for christmas is one of those like fun halloween non-scary movies that fits the bill that also um can be watched not just for halloween but also for christmas like you said where how you feel like it's kind of more of a christmas movie um i think because it like stemmed from like being a cult favorite mm-hmm. and then over the years like as cults go um, am like it just grows in popularity and cause all the goths love it. And then even people who aren't goth love the movie. And then it just grew and grew in its influence. And Disney's like, okay, we're finally going to acknowledge it as a Disney movie. And I mean, <laughs> for good reason.
0: Reclaim it as a Disney movie.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like Wait, va- that but... validation it's been seeking for over a decade.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, you just made me come to a bit of a revelation with with uh, some of tim burton's work and yes this is really a henry selick movie but i'll just say tim burton sorry henry selick is what well, you're saying earlier about spooky but not scary that's actually a real great encapsulation of a lot of tim burton's work he's only done like a like one or two straight up horror stories mm-hmm. of like Sweeney Todd and uh, Sleepy Hollow that's more like just straight up horror but like yeah. otherwise like a lot of his is like he likes the spooky stuff but like actually it's like that moment in Corpse Bride of just like oh skeletons dead people but then like the minute they're like then they just shake hands and just hug and like oh, oh okay yeah whatever yeah I think the spooky is dead but like whatever
1: <laughs> yeah I think the spooky aesthetic just really um I think it really highlights the heartwarming core of the stories, especially with his earlier movies and earlier concepts, like with Edward Scissorhands. um, And uh, what was I going to say? And I'm not sure if you ever watched Crimson Peak, but it kind of reminded me of this one line where... um, I forget the main character's name, but she tries to shop around her manuscript to different publishers. And she says, yes, there's ghosts in this story, but it's not a ghost story. It's kind of like that.
0: There are ghosts in Hamlet, but people don't think of that as a ghost story.
1: True. It is a tragedy. Considered one of Shakespeare's tragedies.
0: (laughs) And it has ghosts. Whereas just three little witches makes Macbeth into a, a magic play. You know,
1: yeah. That, well, you then, could say, yeah, is a psychological horror play,
0: yeah. Well, yeah. I somehow brought in Shakespeare, so <laughs> I think with that, um, before we go, would you like to plug any of your work, Joe?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, you can find me with all my cosplays on Circus of Miss Joe. Um, I'm also very active on TikTok under my um, my student Carmilla Joe, which is what I cosplay and voice act under. And um, I'm also very active with all my writing works on Twitter at Joe underscore woo underscore author.
0: Awesome! Thank you so much again for coming on. Um, next week, um, tune in. We're, we we still got some more exciting podcasts. Um, Next one, I'm going to be talking with a good friend about it. So see you then.
1: Thanks for having me, Jamie.